0: Love Talk Radio. April 7th, 2013, and this is John Friend. You are listening to The Realist Report on the American Nationalist Network, the home of the American Nationalist Association. And today I have a very special guest, a returning guest to The Realist Report, Mr. Bill Fink of Christagenia.org and the Mein Kampf Project. So Bill, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: Hello. Praise Christ. Fine. Thank you.
0: Great. Yeah, I'm glad we could uh, make this happen. This is sort of a you know a last-minute show here we threw together. Um, and this is a, a topic that I've been wanting to talk about for a while um, because it's kind of controversial and there's a lot of different opinions. Um, and obviously, Bill is pretty much an expert in this field. So uh, the topic, just to start, is going to be the role of Christianity in the development and advancement of Western civilization, including how Christianity impacted and in, and influenced prominent figures in political ideologies in Western history, including the Founding Fathers and Adolf Hitler and National Socialist Germany. Um so Bill, I guess to start out, why don't you tell us a little bit about your websites real quick and then and then we'll go from there.
1: Well, well my websites seek to um seek to correct the historical record in a lot of ways. But there's a um that there are a lot of different opinions on this topic Mostly because few people read books and, and they derive their opinions from what they learn from the Jews, from the mainstream media, from, from movies that they saw. Or, or, or a lot of the people that read books, that they read Jewish novels. They read novels published by the Jewish publishing houses. And, and they think that they know history, maybe because they read William Patterson or James Michener. That, that's the, you know, what they're reading is pap. It's garbage. They don't read original sources. They don't read classical literature. They want to comment on Hitler. They haven't even read Hitler. They want to comment on the Founding Fathers. They haven't read Thomas Paine or, or the letters of Benjamin Franklin. And, right. and all of these things today, that there's no excuse for for not reading these things because a lot of them are freely available online. But the Jews, the, the media will tell you that Benjamin Franklin was a deist. And when you go to franklinpapers.org and read Benjamin Franklin's papers, it's obvious that he was a Christian.
2: Right. Even
1: though these men were Christians in a different sense, that we, we see um, that these crazy, Zionist-infested, evangelical Christians of today, they're not Christians.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, and we're going to be getting into that, uh, You know, how the Founding Fathers interpreted Christianity and how it really influenced a lot of the documents they wrote in, in, in the Constitution, for example um, So basically, I, I posed three questions that I wrote in the description of this program and, and hopefully we're going to be addressing these at length throughout this conversation The first one is, where did Christianity go wrong? The second one is, how has Christianity been subverted and perverted To to now, we, you know, we see mainstream, organized Christianity And all it really does is serve international Zionism and and Jewish supremacy Um, And then the final question is, can we blame the problems facing our nation, our race, and ultimately our very civilization on the problems associated with Christianity? You know, can we blame Christianity for all the problems we see today? So those are the questions we're going to be trying to address. Um, And and real quick, I wanted to give a disclaimer. Um, You know, Rodney Martin and I went over and explained the American Nationalist Association and the American Nationalist Network – we explained our position on Christianity um, and how we're really not here to promote or, you know, denigrate Christianity or really any other religion. Um, so I'd really encourage everybody to read that. And, you know, just for the record, Bill is obviously, you know, a leading scholar in, in Christian identity circles. Uh, so I did want to, you know, make that known and, 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 you know, declare that up front before we jump into this. But I think we can talk about this stuff in a, in an objective way. Um, and, I, and I think it'll be uh, very informative for people. Um, so I did want to just uh, make those statements b- before we jump in here. Um, and, and Bill, just to get started, I have a question here I'd like to ask you and, and have you address it. Is it fair to say that despite all of the problems associated with organized Christianity, which we will be talking about throughout the show, um, is it fair to say that despite all the problems with, with Christianity, historically it did check Judaism – and isolate Jews from Christian or or non-Jewish society. Is it fair to make that statement, and how so? It's
1: it's absolutely fair to make that statement. And and the the root of the problem is the same that I just described concerning, for instance, the founding fathers. People don't go back and read the foundational documents. Any reading of the New Testament would lead one to believe that Christ wasn't a Jew. He was an anti-Jew. If the word Jew, in in recent times, the the word, the Greek word for Judean, and and if we understand the history of first century Judea, we understand that Judea was a Roman political district. It wasn't the name of a tribe. It wasn't the name of a race. The the modern Bibles take that word Judea, the word Judean, which is just a, a citizen or a resident of Judea. And the word Judah, which which does represent a tribe, and they translate them all as Jew, when when none of those translations are accurate, because the people of Judah were white, and they are not, except in very small part genetically, because of race mixing that happened in Judea around the time of Christ, but for the most part, they are not the the offspring of, of Judah. Well, Bill, I'm sorry. Let me let me just interrupt
0: you real quick. Where did this word Jew come from?
1: Well, well the word Jew, and, and, well, well, the, the French, the, the J is actually a French letter, right? But but the um, the word Jew ultimately did come from a contraction of the word Judean. But not all Judeans were Judah. Only a small portion of them were, and according to the historical literature. The New Testament and the, the works of the historian Flavius Josephus, these people in Judea in the first century, only a very small portion of them were actually of the type of Judah.
0: So basically they interpreted the word Jew to mean anybody that was in Judea when really the, the real Judeans were, were solely the people you're talking about. It didn't apply to everybody that, that was living there at the time.
1: Is that correct? Well, Judea, it's like America, right? If you'd have said American in 1790, you would think of a white Englishman. If you say American in 2010, it could be anything. It could be a Chinaman. It could be a a, a Latino. It could be anything because the nation has been integrated and and, and flooded with aliens. And, And Judea in the first century was the same way.
0: Sure. Well, historically, then, how did Christianity serve as a check on Judaism and, and you know Jewish intrigues and Jewish influence in Christian or, or you know just non-Jewish society? Historically, how, how was it able to you know put these people in check and isolate them from you know Christian
1: society? Well, well, it's it's a little it's a slightly complicated story. Let's start out with the real meaning of the word Catholic. The real meaning of the word Catholic has nothing to do with what the Roman Catholic Church is today. The word means, it, it comes from two Greek words, kata, which means down or according to, and holos, which means whole. And, and catholicus means, it, it's the genitive case, it, it means according to the whole, derived from the entire and in its original sense, it was used of the scriptures. You had, in, in, in the second and third centuries, you had people that were what were followers of Marcion. He's one notable example. The Marcionites would reject the entire Old Testament as Jewish. We had that back then, right, that problem. They rejected the entire Old Testament as Jewish. They rejected most of the scriptures in the New Testament that referenced the Old Testament. And they only adhered to 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 the words of Christ and and some of the other, you know, New Testament scriptures that that weren't as Hebrew in their character. Now the um, the Marcionites were basically New Testament only Christians, and they didn't even accept the entire New Testament. Now you had the Jews and you had Ebionite Christians who rejected most of the New Testament writings or all of the New Testament writings in the case of the Jews themselves. And then you had the Catholics, and in the original sense it meant according to the whole, meaning that the Catholics accepted the entire scripture as being, and and I believe this is the correct position, at once we understand the history, as being the revelation of God to his people. Now, that was the original meaning of the term Catholic. The entire scripture once it's understood, and, and this is in the New Testament and Old, but, but um, is spelled out to a much greater degree in the Old, to, to in much more explicit terms, the entire Scripture rejects usury. The, the Scriptures reject usury. Usury is evil. Usury is anti-Christian. Christ went to the temple, and who did he attack in the temple? The people espousing the false religion, or the people who were traders and merchants and bankers? He turned over the tables of the bankers. He drove them out of the temple. The New Testament and Old reject usury. They reject fornication, which is race mixing, or any other form of illicit sex, such as prostitution. All of these things, the gambling, all of these evils that, that have caused the denigration, the, the, the degradation, I'm sorry, of our culture again and again, all of these things are... Vices, which we see promoted by the Jews wherever they go. You go to Las Vegas and you'll find that the Jews own all the casinos. And and now the same is true of Atlantic City and, and most of the rest of the world. You, you go to um, Hollywood and the Jews produce all the porn and all the smut. You go to New York, the Jews are the... Are the, are the um, the X-rated theater owners and, and the purveyors of pornography, and, and the Jews are the purveyors of gambling and, and every other vice.
0: And we certainly know that the Jews have a monopoly over the practice of usury. Well, well and they, right. so
1: did they in the ancient world. It right. was no different in Rome. It was no different in Greece.
0: And this is something h- historically Christianity has has rejected.
1: Well, well absolutely. And, and when um, – when Christianity became. In, in the time of Constantine, Christianity was only decriminalized. It was criminal. And the Jews, and, and you could read the early Christian writers such as um, Minutius Felix and, and Tertullian, the great Christian apologist of the second century, these men despised the Jews. All of the early Christian writers, Irenaeus, they all despised the Jews. And These men explained that all of the persecutions of Christians by the Romans were instigated by the Jews. And and they say that explicitly. Now, when Christianity finally prevailed, and and that's a matter of biblical prophecy, and, and anyone that heard the program that we did together on the settlement of Europe would understand what I'm referring to. When Christianity finally prevailed in the West, the Byzantine kings, the Byzantine emperors, they basically passed laws. And, and I'm talking about up to the time of Justinian. I'm talking about Theodosius I, Theodosius II, Constantinus II, and Justinian himself. They passed laws which precluded that behavior from Christian society. And and people weren't allowed to loan money at usury. And, and people, the Jews were explicitly precluded from from... Having Christian slaves and forcing them to practice Judaism, and, and from loaning Christians money at usury, and the Jews were explicitly excluded from holding public office. Right. Now, let me
0: ask you real quick, Bill. The, 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 this is this what you're describing was basically institutionalized through the Byzantine Empire, to where yes, Ju- to where Jews were excluded from society. They were not, like you said, they were not able to hold slaves. They were not able to hold any uh, position of influence in the government, in the media, certainly in the educational system. so they were basically isolated and excluded from Christian society. Now
1: what, what, what
0: time frame are we talking here?
1: This is the, um, the, the fourth and early fifth this is the, the, the fourth, the fifth, and the early sixth centuries a. d
0: Okay, so this is you know shortly after the, the fall of the Roman Empire and, and you know the rise of the Byzantine Empire. Do I have that right?
1: Well, well, yes. At the same time this was happening in the East, it, it, Rome and the West was falling apart.
0: Right, exactly. Now, the Roman Empire, they, they did not implement these sort of uh, policies that the Byzantines did, did they?
1: No, they didn't. Rome Rome itself, while well, well, Byzantine, you know, Byzantium is the Roman Empire, was divided in two.
0: Right. The Eastern uh, Roman Empire versus the Western Roman Empire, correct?
1: Yes, and, and several of the emperors between the time of Constantine and, and Justinian attempted to consolidate it again, and those attempts failed. When Rome and the West fell apart, Justinian actually, under his great general Belisarius, had, had re- Subdued or, or reconquered the the Vandals in northern Africa and and most of it most of what we know today is Italy and Spain and, and regained them back and and they were under the the, the um, Byzantine emperor for quite some time. Now the the um, Western Rome the, there was a struggle in Rome. Rome had already by the time Christianity was accepted. Which was under the time of of Constantine the Great, that the the, um, the center and the capital of the empire had already folk and switched its its seat to Constantinople for the most part to Byzantium. Now Rome in the West was in a state of decay and 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 the decadence in Rome was incredible in, in the last centuries of its existence. It was ripe for being conquered, and and that's its own decadence is what led the. Um, the, the gods to be able to conquer it so easily.
0: Well let me ask you this real quick Bill, the, the, the decadence in the Roman Empire during this time frame, was this a result of, of these Jewish corruptors and infiltrators and subverters, largely?
1: Well well, to a great degree, I mean, usurers in, in in the centuries leading up to even to the time of Christ if we read the historical works of Livy the great Roman historian who wrote in, in the um, first century BC I believe, well, well that there was a great amount of um, usury, and the people of Rome were always crying about the usury. If we read the works of Tacitus, and and the works of Paul of Tarsus, right in his epistle to the Romans in the first chapter, and this is all verifiable in the pages of the Roman chronicler Tacitus, there was a great degree of sexual degeneracy in Rome. Right. From the first century. Now, in the third century, The the Romans, um, I believe it was under the Emperor Caracalla, who who basically took all of the former slaves that had been freed over time and elevated them to the position of citizen. And and once that was done, a lot of those slaves were were not, they they were not really white. They were Arabs. They were Jews who had been brought back to Italy. And and after the conquest of Judea, they were Edomite Jews. They were anti-Christian Jews. They weren't Judah Jews and Judah should never be confused. That's the first big mistake that all Christians make. Well, th- these people were, um, that they were elevated to the position of citizens, and, and that to me, and, and that's according to the prophecy in Daniel, but that's in the West, right? And another hundred years later, there was a Gothic king sitting on, on, on the um charity emperor in, in Rome, not even a hundred years later.
0: So, so when we look at Rome, that they certainly didn't have, you know, the, the, the protections, you know, built into the system like like the Byzantine Empire did.
1: Correct? Well, well, no, because they hadn't adopted Christianity, and, and the Byzantine Empire did, and that was a great insulator but between the white European world and the Jews. And, and even back then, and and I'd like to get into this in a few minutes. Did the, the Jews? consolidate the non-white races and use them in their attacks against Christian
3: Okay, Bill, are you still there? Yes.
0: Okay, okay. Jeez, I'm sorry about this, guys. This is this is really frustrating. Um anyways, I I'm sorry. I, I'm not sure where we got cut off, but if you want to continue, if you know where you where you left off,
1: well, well, the Canaanites who were, um, and the Edomites and the other people who later became known as Jews, at least in part, the, those people had a wonderful time in pagan Rome. European paganism comes from the land of Canaan. But this is a, a, a lot of people might think this is a far stretch, but the gods of the earliest Romans and Greeks are easily identified with the land of Canaan. And and one example is Athena. Athena was the, the, the goddess for whom the city Athens was named after. And Athena is the Anath of the Phoenicians. She's the Anath of Scripture and, and, and the ancient Levant. That, there's, that There are many parallels with, with the pagan gods of Greece and Rome and the Middle East and the ancient people of Israel. Saturn, it is the storm god of Rome, and 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 his name comes from the same Hebrew word, which gives us the name Seder. It, it means rough, and it often means stormy. So, so there's um that there, there are clear correlations in the early language of the Romans and the Greeks, and and their pagan gods and goddesses and their traits, their attributes, and the the, the pagan gods that the children of Israel who were white. And who were the ancestors of the Romans in many of the Greeks, what were chastised for following? That is a so, clear connection in the ancient world. Now now these Canaanites that they had a wonderful time in in, in Roman Greece, they, they, they Jews love pagans because pagans <laughs> don't have um, a bar on usury or or, or or many forms of immorality. They have none whatsoever and and, and they had a, a swell time in Roman Greece. Now, when Christianity came along and excluded most of the Jews from the empire, from the Byzantine Empire, which then, after the time of Justinian, included Gothic Spain, which became Christian in in the early 6th century AD, and Italy, the Jews who were excluded from the empire over the next hundred years developed what we call Islam. And yes, Islam is a Jewish religion. It's the the brainchild of Jewish scribes and use that to rally the Arab and mixed races. The Arab races are mixed people, that they're mixed races, who were excluded from Christianity. The Arabs have never, nobody's ever tried to to, um, bring the Arabs in the first centuries of Christianity. Nobody ever tried to evangelize the Arabs. And the Jews rallied and, and used those people at, as a um, as a weapon against the Christian Europe that they were excluded from. So what did they do first? They they went to Algeria. They went to Mauritania. They raised armies and, and they brought them to Spain and invaded Spain.
0: Interesting. Yeah, you know that might be a, a whole a topic for an entire other show. You know, Islam and, and you know how it's been used over the years. Um, but well, well, the
1: same thing, a, a lot of the Jews, when they, were, when, when they were excluded from Christianity, they went to Khazaria, they went to Arabia, they went to Algeria, they mixed with the local populations, they converted them by either Islam or Judaism in, in, the, in, in the, um, the form of the Khazars, they converted them. Once they converted them, they were able to intermarry with them, to mingle with them, and they used those people against Christendom. As soon as the de- Islam was developed, it invaded white North Africa. It destroyed and overran van- the Vandals of North Africa, and it invaded Spain. If it weren't for the Christian Charles Martel, we'd all be half breeds flying carpets today. Right. Now, now, what when the um, the the invasion of Europe in the West basically failed? I, I mean, yes, the Jews. That the Muslims were able to hold the lower two thirds of Spain for 700 years until they were excluded, and once they were finally excluded, it, it was, yeah, um, you know, mostly a, an exclusion of, of their government and their religion, and not necessarily of all of their blood. That the Jews used the Turks, and, and the, it was Jews who who instigated the Turks to invade the lands of the Byzantines.
0: Now this, w- what time frame would this have been then? This would well, been... well.
1: Now we're talking about the the, um, the 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 Turks had overrun. They crossed the Euphrates about a thousand A.D. Maybe a little after that. They they had held um, most of Anatolia, which was formerly white and Christian. Right. They, they held most of that by about eleven fifty A.D. That they held most of the lands that formerly belonged to Byzantium by 1300 AD. They were in the Balkans and, and Constantinople. Constantinople finally fell in 1453 BC, the city itself,
3: A- AD. Okay.
0: Okay, I think we're live now again. I'm not guys, I'm really sorry about this. If this happens again, Bill, I'm just going to hang up and I'm going to call in with my cell phone. Um this is this is absolutely ridiculous. I don't know what's going on here with Skype. Um So anyways, I guess we'll just continue here. Again, I apologize for this, everybody. Um we were talking about uh the basically the formation of the Ottoman Empire and how they basically overran the the, you know, the Byzantine Empire and and the how the jews were were basically behind this
1: Absolutely there, there's a that there's a good book by Maurice Pinier called Plot Against the Church that that explains some important elements of it
0: Right now so okay so basically we had the destruction of would you consider that would you consider the the Byzantine Empire to be really the last uh you know bastion of 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 Christianity or 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 organized Christianity that that served as a check to Jewry, or well,
1: well yes, because not long after Byzantium fell, what we what we have to um, bear in mind that William the Conqueror, the Normans, when when they conquered England, they brought the Jews with them, and the Jews had been excluded before that, and, and they brought the Jews with them, and, and the first thing that was done in England with William uh, William the Conqueror was that the land was split up. The evidence is the Book of Gnomes. It was split up mostly for tax purposes, for tax farming, and, and and immediately the Jews began tax farming England, and and got their clutches. That that's that that's when usury became acceptable in England. It had been unacceptable up to that time. Now now the Jews were expelled from England in the 13th century, but the English had continued in in, in the same usurious ways that the Jews had started, and they continued the Jewish usury. And the Jews financed Cromwell and got back into England in the 1600s.
0: Right, and 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 we see in, at at the very end, uh, I think it was 1694, the Jews really um, you know officially established this global usury scam that they have with the with the foundation of the Bank of England.
1: Well, well right, and as soon as the Bank of England was founded, the the um, the, the English started la- you know more heavily launching their overseas colonies. Right. And and the colonies before then in America were Christian in nation in in nature for the most part. I mean it's it's without doubt that not only New England, but Georgia and and um Pennsylvania were all founded as Christian colonies, as a refuge yes. for Christians from Europe. What well, William Penn founded Pennsylvania. He got the um the the grant for the founding of Pennsylvania with the ex- express intent of founding a, a christian settlement in the americas for, right. for Let, and, in
0: yeah and and let's get into let's actually get into that in much more detail uh you know later on in the show here so basically what what we see is you know historically christianity di- did actually serve as a check to jewry um especially with the byzantine empire and and you know you know, I, I guess you could even say to a certain extent with the Catholic Church and the Holy Roman Empire. Um, and, and, you know, if you look back, you know, I guess historically in Europe, many Christians viewed the Jew as the murderer of Jesus Christ. And that they were always suspect of the Jew, and they really viewed him as some sort of alien race um, that was obviously in, engaging in corrupt business practices, including usury. Which, as you already said, was totally anti-Christian, and really, it's a totally illegitimate, um, you know, business practice. So, I mean, historically, we see you know Christians and, and non-Jews as viewing the Jew as a, a separate race, a separate religion, a separate people, um, and really as the force behind the murder of Jesus Christ and you know behind this practice of usury.
1: Is that correct? you think? Well, well, right. As late as, I believe it's the 14th century, it may have been the 13th, I think it was the 14th century, St. Thomas Aquinas wrote a letter to Margaret, the Duchess of Flanders, and in that letter he said, the Jews may not licitly keep those things which they have extorted from others through usury. Right. That was the Catholic...
0: Oh, okay, Welcome guys. This, this is um.
3: Please enter your is getting a bit ridiculous finished. here. Press let me see button.
0: if I can uh, get Bill on the line here. One second. I'm I'm on my cell phone now. Um, let me see. I'm sorry, but I did not hear you press at least four
2: digits of your PIN
1: Hello? Oh, Bill, do
0: I got you? Do I got you now?
1: Yeah, I didn't know we were gone, but that's okay.
0: Yeah, you know, this is really frustrating. What, what is this, the third time now in, in, you know, just a half hour here?
3: Well, yes. Easy.
0: Well, okay. You know what? I- I'm sorry, guys. I'm I'm on my cell phone now. Though I think we're going to be I- – I think we shouldn't have any more problems going forward, hopefully, anyways. Um. So yeah, just we'll, we'll just have to do it this way. I hope it's not too much of an inconvenience for you. You know, I should be fine on my cell phone. So go ahead.
1: Well, well, I don't know where I was cut off. The, the um, well, Thomas it, 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 Aquinas. Go ahead. Yeah, you were
0: talking about Thomas Aquinas, and, and we were
1: talking about right. right. 13th, he was in the 13th century, and, and he had written to Margaret, the Duchess of Flanders, and, and made the, he made the explicit statement that. that the Jews may not licitly keep those things which they have extorted from others through usury. And that was the Christian attitude until that time, and even beyond it. Now, now the De Medici's and and the Borgias had corrupted the Roman church and and bought their way into the papacy, basically, through political power and influence. They were bankers, that they were sorcerers, they were criminals, that they were crime families, and... and, um, they basically usurped the papacy, and under um, I think it was Pope Leo X, the De Medici Pope Giovanni De Medici, he had forced the allowance of the practice of usury on all the Christian bishops of Europe. Right. Yeah, and, and you know
0: what? But before we, can, I, I would actually like to get into some of the problems with the Catholic Church and, and organized Christianity and how Christianity was sort of institutionalized. Uh, before we do that, I have a quote here, um, and this is from Dr. F.K. Wiebe, a German intellectual who wrote a book called Germany and the Jewish Problem in 1939 on behalf of the Institute for the Study of the Jewish Problem in Berlin. And he basically described how historically um, Europeans and, and really you know, Christians in Europe viewed the Jews as an essentially dissimilar race and not merely as a different religious community. So they really viewed these people as, you know, as the other, as a separate, hostile, alien race. Um, And he goes on to say that it's interesting to observe in this connection that in every case where a European state was weak and financially impoverished, the restrictions imposed on the Jews were greatly relaxed and eventually abrogated. So the Jews basically, you know, got in bed with some of these mobility types, some of the aristocracy Got him into debt um, and basically corrupted and, and you know subverted and took over Christian Europe.
1: No doubt, no doubt. They used the weak nobilities to do that. That they preyed on them. A, a good example of that is the, um, the 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 movie put out by the National Socialists in Germany, Jude Süss, at, at the time of the National Socialists. That that was that that movie is an excellent portrayal of how the Jews. And upon the nobility and 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 corrupted them, right? And, and they would real, get nobles. Is... They would get them indebted, and, and the next thing you know, that they, there'd be taxes on the roads, and people couldn't travel without paying the Jew. That that right. the early, the, the early um that the fairy tales about the ogre under the bridge collecting the tolls when you went across the bridge, those fairy tales are about the damn Jew.
0: Right, exactly. And this is a theme that Adolf Hitler writes about all throughout Mein Kampf, how you know the aristocracy and the nobility really betrayed and, and sold out their, their people, you know, at the behest of the Jew, uh and, and you know, allowing themselves to be corrupted through usury, through you know, getting into debt and, and you know, taking loans and bribes from these from these criminal Jews.
1: Absolutely. He wrote about that explicitly of the Prussian nobility.
0: Uh, yeah, exactly.
1: That they were into cool. marrying the Jews. The same thing with the English nobility.
0: Exactly. Well, let's, um, let's get into some of the problems with the Catholic Church and, and how Christianity was sort of institutionalized. And an essay that's on your website, uh, which is Uh Go check it out, guys. Um, you have an essay here titled Misconceptions Concerning Paul and the Church. And I, I think you do a really good job explaining the problems with the formation of the Catholic Church and, and how it was institutionalized. And, and you sort of compare that to how Paul described a true Christian community. Do you want to talk about this a little bit? Because I think it's really important.
1: Well, well, right. The the um, don't get me wrong. The, the the Catholic Church when it was founded did insulate Europe from the Jews for a thousand years. There's no doubt. But that doesn't mean that the institution was necessarily good. It's a two-edged sword, right? And, and it was from the very beginning. that Now, the, the prophecies of the Bible, the Revelation, clearly, Revelation 13, Daniel chapter 7, clearly foresee and forewarn us concerning the institution, which we know later as the Catholic Church. H- however, it, it had its good points and it had its bad points. The The good point, what was the um the, the, the compulsory institution of Christian government all over all over Europe and the exclusion of the Jews? the bad point was the the corruption and the tyranny that came with that later on uh, over their own people the the right, Catholic Church exactly. you know first, Christian churches are not supposed to be. Um, monolithic tyrannies. Paul told the Corinthians that he would not rule over their faith. He quoted the scripture. He offered them the alternatives. That that's the way it should be. The scripture is king. That the scripture, that the words of God in scripture, Christians are to study and govern their lives by. And, and when Christians do that in a in a Closely knit community, and they don't race mix. They don't bring in aliens. They don't bring in uh, um, heresies or, or things that may be considered as heresy, I- even though it's arguable about what heresies are. Right. But, well, um, what we have always had very successful and very caring and, and very well run communities organized in in that organic Christian fashion. But that has been practiced very little in our history. The the Amish come close. That the Mennonites. That there's a few examples. That the early Plymouth colonists in New England. That there's a few examples where, where we we come close to it. But we've never perfectly practiced Christianity. Never. It's right. never been practiced. Well, the Christianity.
0: Now, the Christianity that, that, that you describe in this essay that, that Paul talked about was really a, a sort of a lifestyle. It wasn't this ritualized, um, you know, official Christianity. That we well, see, what religion
1: that we... is a lifestyle. It, when you were a right. Greek, if you were a Stoic or a Gnostic or an Epicurean, people could just look at you and your actions and what you believe and know what you were because you lived your religion. this Today we're fooled by the... Today we're all... We all worship the pop culture of the Jew. That's what we practice, except for if we're Christians, except for one hour a week when we go to church. And then we worship the Zionism of the Jew. Exactly. Today, and today, that's, our, our that's entire that's, society is absolutely corrupted. Today. And and really, that so what, and what you say in
0: this essay is really that is that's not how real Christianity was ever supposed to be practiced. And certainly not institutionalized.
1: No, if you're a Christian, you, you you live your entire life as a Christian. You 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 abstain from from unclean things every day, every waking minute of your day. You you only show concern for your Christian brethren every waking minute of your day. You 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 know you live to build your community and, and to edify your kin every waking minute of your day you don't engage in jewish amusements you don't engage in 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 the vices and distractions of, of the world and you do that every single day christianity is a lifestyle in the ancient world religion was a lifestyle men took their profession seriously and abode by them today men profess one thing or another And they go engage in Jewish pop culture,
0: right? And they watch television,
1: and and and, and fornicate, and and do everything else the Jews want them to do.
0: Right, and and I think if you look at some of the great uh, you know figures in Western history, including Adolf Hitler, uh, you know many of the founding fathers, they were the type of Christian you just described. They they lived a Christian lifestyle. They didn't just merely you know profess it and and you know go to church and ask for forgiveness. They lived, you know, in in this spirit, and I think that's important to understand and recognize. Well, well,
1: they absolutely didn't. That's why most of their ancestors came here. You know, I I started to say before that some of the colonies in the United States, the the English colonies, were were found after the founding of the Bank of England and the restoration of Charles II, you, you know, the Carolinas were given to some of his supporters as a gift, and they were operated as commercial enterprises. The Virginia colony was operated as a commercial enterprise at the first. But they they were all populated by Christians where they weren't populated by Negroes. And and most of the colonies here were founded as Christian colonies, as Christian settlements, so that Christians who fled the, the heresies of Europe could live here as Christians and conduct Christian lifestyles and build Christian communities. Right. And, and, and most of our founding fathers descended from those people who founded those Christian communities and were raised up in that. John Adams. John Adams was, um, he, he was studied for the, for, for the clergy, and he decided to become a lawyer. Now, now at about. that time, lawyer was a more, much more noble profession than it is now.
0: Well, Thomas Jefferson wrote a Bible. I mean, he, you know, these, these men were, were very much influenced by Christianity. And again, it wasn't the you know, the, the ritualized, you know, superficial Christianity that we see with, you know, Catholicism and, and even Protestantism in the day. They, they lived their lives according to, you know, a, a Christian principles and, and a Christian lifestyle.
3: Well, well,
1: right. And, and James Madison was another one trained for the clergy, decided to become a lawyer, and for that reason, I believe it was providential that both him and John Adams had been lawyers instead of clergy, because they both had rather great roles to, to fill in, in the forming of our first government. Thomas Jefferson yeah, was a Christian. The, the, um, the, the Jews love to say that Franklin was a deist. That's a lie. Benjamin Franklin was a Christian. It could be established from his own writing. Thomas Jefferson was a Christian, it's established from his own writing. Thomas Paine, they love to say he was a deist, he was a Christian. It was established from his own writing. If people would only read the rights of man and 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 the um and common sense, they would realize he was a Christian. They just weren't Christians on their shirt sleeves. Adolf Hitler was a Christian, but they were real Christians. They lived their lives and, and their political and their social philosophies were grounded in Christianity. However, they didn't go to church and play choir boy because that's not Christian.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Going to church
1: I, I and performing rituals and, and things like that, that's pagan. It's not Christian.
0: Yeah, and, and and I think if anybody really takes an objective look at this, I mean, clearly, our founding fathers, Adolf Hitler, many other great men in Western history, were certainly Christian in spirit um, and not this superficial, fake Christianity that we see, you know, institutionalized with Catholicism or Protestantism and certainly not this modern-day phenomenon of Zionism and evangelism. So, Bill, let me ask you this real quick. what, If you could point to maybe two or three... You know, of, of the primary problems with the, the institutional institutionalization of Christianity in the Catholic Church, what, what would you say? What, what are the primary problems with the institutionalization of, of Christianity?
1: Well, what you mean in, in the modern era? It's the worship of the Jew. That's the primary problem.
0: Well, sure. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously, <laughs> that's true. The, the, the acceptance I mean, I mean, of Historically, historically, um, what are the problems with, with the, you know, the establishment of the Catholic Church, for instance?
1: Well, well, the problem with the establishment of the Catholic Church is that Christianity was never supposed to have one true church. Paul said in, in his epistles to the Corinthians that there must be, and the King James has it translated, heresies among you. well, well the Greek word heresis means a sect, And what Paul really said was that there must be sects among you, and in that manner, the anointed, meaning the true people of God, would become evident among you. And that's the words of Paul of Tarsus. So, so how could, what authority does does an institution of man have to to usurp the the first Christian apostles? And, And that's what they've done. That they've used some some false. It, it's that they used that the Roman ecclesia, that the Roman clergy had had used Christianity to build a new Roman Empire is, is what they did, exactly. and to legitimize it, and, and that so, was yeah. wrong. It was never supposed to be that way.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's something that I've come to realize is that really, you know, the Roman Empire, well, really just the formation of, of the Catholic Church and this. Institutionalization of, of of Christianity was really more political than, than spiritual or religious or anything like that. It, it was basically a means to project political power, and you, you know what I mean. I, would that be a fair characterization?
1: Well, well, absolutely. The, the um, yeah, you know, none of the Christian bishops would recognize the authority of the Bishop of Rome, that there were actually several bishops in the 3rd and 4th centuries who had chastised the bishops of Rome, not until the time of Justinian, and, and it's written right into Justinian's novels, I forget exactly which one it is, but it's on christigenia.org, it's on my website, it, it might be 125 or number 130, it's up there somewhere. Right in Justinian's novels, Justinian recodified Roman law, and and he had several volumes of Roman law recodified, and it's called the Justinian Code. And that became the basis for European law until the time of Napoleon, who also recodified Roman law into his own code. Well, the novels are that volume of Justinian's laws which are new. That's why they're called the novels. And in that volume of Justinian's laws... There's the explicit um, law that the Bishop of Rome would have ecclesiastical authority over all of the other Christian bishops. That was when the Catholic Church as we know it was created, with Justinian, By, circa uh, five thirty-five forty 540 B- A.D. in there.
0: And that That's when the Catholic Church be,
1: was created.
0: Yeah, and that seems to me to be the point where... It was really used, you know, you know, in a political
3: sense, to where Well, well was, you know,
1: right, something. absolutely. Now, yeah, a lot of that yeah. political power wasn't really consolidated until the time of Gregory I, Gregory the Great, he's called in the seventh century. If you read Bede, that the that the, the the English clergyman is what he is. He's a Saxon. He he's an Anglo-Saxon. He's not a Briton, and he's writing in England in the eighth century. And he gives us a lot of insight into the Saxon invasions of of, of Britain and, and all of that, which happened a couple of hundred years before him. But in the time of Bede, the church as an institution is still very beneficent. And Bede even describes how the, the Christian bishops were having a lot of the scriptures from Greek and, and Latin We're having them translated into the vernacular of the peoples of of, of the Britons and and the Angles and and the Saxons, right? Well, well, Bede describes that, and only 500 years later in the the 13th century, and perhaps as early as the 12th, the Roman church is actually um, persecuting people who translated the scriptures into the common tongues of, of the people of Europe. They were persecuting them because the things that the catholic church was was teaching already by that time were contrary to the words of christ and the words of the of the, of the apostles so so at that time in, in that time period that there's a transition from a beneficent christian catholic church to a tyrannical oppressive catholic church now now I'm exactly. not real scholar of the middle ages so I haven't put my thumb on it as to why that transition happened but it did. Now by the time of the of the 1500s and, and the Borgias and the De Medici popes and the founding of the Jesuits the Roman church is being infiltrated by the Jews and they're taking it over. And that precipitated the the reformation. That they started using um indulgences and, and things of that type To to basically soak the German people, especially, and and the people in Northern Europe, for money on a constant basis. The the Jews of Rome, the Jews that infiltrated the Roman Church, were using Catholicism as a cash cow, just like they use Zionism today. And and they were creating false doctrines, like the doctrine of purgatory and, and the indulgences. That's the main thing that Martin Luther railed against. In, in his 95 theses, what was the right. indulgence? And, and that was the, the, the trigger that brought us the Reformation, and what did we have? We immediately had the Thirty Years' War, and, and half of Germany was wiped out because the, Catholics, yeah, well, the uh, Roman Catholics attempted to get it back.
0: Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask you. It seems to me that it, they basically were forming a racket you know, a, a financial racket, a political well, well, racket. well, right? It
1: did become a racket, but with, with the finances and 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 the allowance of usury in in the late 1500s, the the, the Roman Catholic Church did become a racket. Yeah, it's been racket well, ever since.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and 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 you, well, you brought up uh, Martin Luther. That was another uh, another individual I wanted to, to ask you about. What or, what's your take on him? I mean, was he was he you know moving or, or at least trying to? Christianity in the right direction, or, or what's your take on Martin Luther?
1: Well well, okay, you know ever since, ever since the first century, Christians have been divided, and, and their division has been caused by their in, innate empathy, right? White people have an innate empathy that now a lot of men understood, men like Tertullian understood that the Jews were evil. They were genetically evil. They were going to forever be reprobates. But a lot of men thought that you could convert Jews. And and throughout history we had popes who thought the Jews should be converted and popes who knew the Jews couldn't be converted. Yeah, and, and and it wavered back and forth several times. Well, well Martin Luther at first, he thought that there was redemption in the Jews, that they could be converted. He didn't, they didn't understand, to, to the extent that I believe we do today in Christian identity, they didn't understand the nature of, of the Jew and, and who they, that they were from the Judean histories themselves. A, and a lot of men thought, and Martin Luther early on in his career was one of them, that there was redemption in the Jews and they could be converted. He was burned by them. And, and, and studying them, came to know them, and, and the product of that is a book called The Jews and Their Lies. And, right. and he understood that exactly. it was the Jews who were the destroyers of Gothic Spain. He understood that the, the Jews opened the, the gates of the cities of Eastern Europe to the Mongols. He came to study that and learn that, and he attempted to warn his his followers and his readers about that, but they didn't listen. And today the, the Lutheran church is just as much worshipers of the Jews as, as the Catholic church and, and, and all the other churches are.
0: Absolutely. I was going to say, could you imagine going into a Lutheran church, you know, in a modern America with with Martin Luther's book, the Jews and their lives and, and trying to, you know, talk to people about it? <laughs> well, well, you
1: know, Mike Delaney did that. I, I wish I was there. He actually stood outside a Lutheran church one day, Mike Delaney, ProThink.org, stood outside a Lutheran church with copies of the Jews and their lives and tried to talk to Lutherans about it, and they thought he was nuts. They re- totally rejected it, him. It,
0: it, it's absolutely incredible, yeah. The, the,
1: um, the German reformers rejected usury. Luther rejected usury. Calvin accepted it. The English later accepted it. They'd already been practicing it by the time it became a serious issue in Christianity, the English had already been practicing it from the days of William of Normandy for 500 years by this time. So, so, so the, the cat was of the bag. The Jews of the city in London, they actually financed much of the English empire. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, really, I, I view colonialism in general as sort of a, a, a Jewish-inspired and certainly a Jewish-financed endeavor and, and that, gives, that gives Imperialism is...
1: Place. Imperialism is... I wouldn't say colonialism. Yeah. There's a difference between colonialism and imperialism. Okay, do you want
0: to, Yeah, go ahead and expand on that a little bit. That's a good well,
1: point. Well, colonialism... You know, colonialism, when a nation needs room, when a people need space, that they, that they search for an empty patch of land and they go claim it and they build a settlement on it. That's a colony. Imperialism is when a nation wants to... Um, Grow commercially and assert its power and influence and conquers other nations and subjects them to their laws and their trade and 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 um raids and and rapes them of of their labor and and their natural resources that's imperialism
0: right. so imperialism is certainly exploitative uh it's clearly unjust and and so yeah okay that that's a good distinction that's a good point I'm glad you said that um but but i mean Really, I, I view this sort of uh, imperial form of Christianity, this uh, universal, uh, universalistic uh, – I'm sorry, I'm not even pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> you know, this universal, uh, universalist perspective. Universalist. There we go. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, yeah, you know, this universalist perspective of Christianity is, is certainly well, a perversion.
1: Christianity was perverted to universalism. It was perverted exactly, to that.
3: Yeah. In the early yeah, centuries
1: yeah. of Christianity, nobody even dreamed of trying to convert Negroes or, or Chinamen or yellow people or brown people to Christianity. Nobody dreamed of that. It, it was a religion for European people. That's why all the apostles went to Europe. Those people, what were the descendants of the people in the Levant and, and Mesopotamia that, that had been the... um. The, the the creators of, of, of the culture that the Hebrew Bible eventually came out of.
0: Well, right, and and if you look at uh, you know ancient Christian artwork and whatnot, you know Christians are not depicted as, as blacks or Asians. You know they're they're white people. You know I mean it just seems so clear to me that this uh, well, you know
1: always and this the, this. Yeah. The, the um, Catholic universalism, which all the Protestant sects later followed, Catholic universalism it, is the a mechanism by which the Catholics could could be imperialistic. It's imperialism. Right. It's religious imperialism.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and so, when do you see this transformation taking place? What like what time
1: frame? Well well, at the same time, basically the fourteen and fifteen hundreds that 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 the um the Jesuits and the crime fam the Jewish converso crime families had infiltrated the Roman papacy and and, and had created it that that 's when imperialistic Catholicism was created
0: right and i believe i 'm not sure maybe you could uh, clarify this, but I believe the Rothschild banking Empire actually took over the finances of the catholic church and in, in, in I want to say the early 1800s, is that right?
1: Yes, the the Rothschilds are the the Roman church's bankers, yes. Right.
0: So, I mean, yeah, clearly they were in bed with the Jews, and, you know, it's been downhill ever since.
1: And and they still are. That's why they're rife with homosexuals and pedophilia. Even though, in all fairness, the homosexual problem in the Roman church is an age-old problem. Erasmus was writing about it in the 14th century. Right.
0: Now, do, does this have anything to do with you know Christians being, or well, you know, priests and, and people that are trying to get involved with the with the Catholic Church? They couldn't take wives, and what? Do you think that's the problem? Or well, well right,
1: it's way? totally contrary to Scripture. It's one hundred and eighty degrees contrary to, to all of the advice of Paul in his letters to Timothy, and Timothy was one of the first Christian bishops. Right. It's one hundred percent contrary to everything Paul said about the managing of a Christian community where Paul said that bishops must be the husband of one wife raising faithful children because if a man could not manage his own house and raise up his own family in in the correct manner, then how can you expect him to manage an, an assembly of the people of God? You can't. Yeah,
0: and you know that's that's funny that you say that because when I was a kid, I mean, I grew up in a in a Catholic you know Catholic household, and and you know I went to church and whatnot. And I remember as a just as a young kid thinking that like why why can't why can't the priest marry? I always thought that was just so weird
1: and so strange and and just kind of backwards. Well, well, right. And I'm not sure. Uh, like I said, I'm not really a scholar of the Middle Ages, but I'm I'm not sure exactly when it happened. But that was probably the first major problem with the Roman Church when they when I think it may have happened as early as Gregory in the 7th century. But, but um, that, that's the first major problem. If you have a... Um, well, well, first, let's, let me qualify the fact that there should, no, should be no such thing as a Christian priest, right? Let me qualify that. In the real Christian Church, there's no such thing as a Christian priest. Aside from that, when you have an institution... It's going to govern communities as the Catholic Church did all throughout Europe, and you prohibit men who, who join that institution from marrying, all you're going to end up with are perverts. It's given. It, it's a given. It's guaranteed
3: that you're going There's to no end
1: up no with an institution it, yeah. of men who didn't want to marry in the first place.
0: Right. Well, again, There's I mean, no as a... I mean, you know, as I said, as a kid I remember just thinking that was just so weird and you know, I, I, I was always I always questioned that for some reason. I just thought it was so weird. And and yeah, clearly it does cause problems, which I think has a big part to do with uh, you know, the, the homosexuality problem, the pedophilia problem.
1: Um Well it well, the, the yeah. early on early on the Roman church became a magnet for deviance.
0: Right, exactly.
1: There's no um, doubt.
0: Well, really, I mean, when we're looking at uh, you know Christian history, uh, well, the Catholic Church, I guess, and, and specifically, and you take a look at Vatican II, which was a council that that basically totally changed the, the officially the Catholic Church, and, and it was led and instigated by Jewish converts to Christianity. Right. Do you have any comments? Do you have any comments on Vatican II? Well, well yeah, you know,
1: to me, to me, the Catholic Church had already long been corrupted. Yeah, you know, sure, I, I agree two, with
0: you. Yeah, I do agree with you
1: there. Vatican II is is yeah, you know basically the the perversion and total undermining of the institution. There's no doubt, but it had already long been corrupted.
0: Right, and I'm looking at an article here, guys, on the Jewish Daily Forward, and it's amazing because the Jews actually just openly brag about how Jewish-born clerics, you know, basically totally subverted the Catholic Church. And the title here of, of this article, you can just do a Google search for this, Converse Who Changed the Church. Jewish-born clerics helped push Vatican II reforms. Well, and it was the 1960s. Catholic...
1: They they usurped all right. of the West. 1960s.
0: Right, exactly. You
1: know, when, they, when they were able to get the United States and, and England to destroy Christian Germany and allowed it a flower of their own youth at the same time. But when they, when the Jews were able to manipulate us into that, they were able to rule over us, and, and they have ever since. There's no doubt.
0: Yes. Well, let me, let me read you just a brief excerpt here, and then I'll get your comments here. Um, it says here that, that Vatican II basically confirmed that Christ, His mother and the apostles Were Jews And that the church had its origin In the Old Testament It denied that the Jews may be held Collectively responsible for Jesus Christ's death And decried all forms of hatred Including anti-Semitism It goes on to say This was in May 1965 by the way guys And it it says here It goes on to place the, The fake Jewish holocaust as sort of like a central aspect of, of this of this Vatican II council. Um, and, and, you know, it talks about how anti-Semitism is wrong, and the Jews have been persecuted and, and suffered so much throughout history, and they need to be elevated even above Christians. I mean, guys, this was like the final nail in the coffin as far as organized Christianity is concerned. And again, Vatican II was led and organized by Jews that quote unquote converted to Christianity. A Jew can never be a Christian. Either by either no, genetics. I mean, and see, that's a, Bill. You, you talked about this earlier. That's always been a huge problem with organized Christianity. The emphasis on rather than excluding the Jew, they want to try to convert the Jew, and that will never happen. The Jew will always be, a, a, you know, an infiltrator, a subverter. Um, they, they, they just don't have what it takes to be a Christian in, in
1: their very spirit, I would say. Well, well if Christ himself couldn't convert the Jews, and he clearly expressed that he did not want to convert the Jews, if Christ himself couldn't convert them, what makes men think that they could do better? And that's exactly. been a problem all throughout our history, is that certain men have always thought that they could do better than Christ.
0: Yeah, and this is something that Hitler actually wrote about in Mein Kampf. And I'm going to read a quote here real quick. This is from page 212 of Mein Kampf, of of, of the edition that I have, which is the official Nazi English translation of Mein Kampf. And he says here, the Jew is of this world only, and his mentality is as foreign to the true spirit of Christianity as his character was foreign to the great founder of the new creed, Two thousand years ago
1: and and we could see that same but we could see I'm sorry, we could see that same um basic precept illustrated in the first epistle of john in, in chapter four
0: absolutely well, and also didn't didn't Paul say that the Jew was contrary to all men,
1: contrary to all men,
0: especially Christian men, <laughs> I mean obviously, and see that's the thing that's always been a problem. Guys, we we can't convert these people. They're never gonna be on our side. It's just the way it is and we gotta we
1: gotta recognize that. And it's been well, no so such thing as a good use. Christ right, himself right. used the fig tree. Christ himself used the parable of the fig tree to represent Jerusalem and said that there would be no more good fruit on it from, forever. Yeah, that's and that's true. because the people had become corrupt. The people were no longer Judah; they were that they were a bastardized mix of Edomites and Canaanites with the original people of Judah who were white. Right, and and I can well, prove in the Bible that they were white.
0: Well, I mean, I just find it amazing that that a guy like Adolf Hitler, you know, could could make a statement like that in Mein Kampf, where he literally said. You know the, the Jew is a hostile alien race that cannot be converted. You know there, there's no there's no rationalizing with these people. There's no there's no objective debate or dialogue. These people are contrary to who we are spiritually, um, certainly you know culturally, and and, and I, I'd like to say politically. Although our political system has been totally corrupted by these people. Um, but I mean yeah, but that's the point is that these people are just totally contrary. To I mean, obviously to Christianity, to, 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 to true Christianity, but I would say even to the, to the white race, you know what I mean?
1: Well, well absolutely, and, and that's been, been noted all, through, all throughout time by great men, and, and Adolf Hitler, he didn't know the history of Judea. He took it for granted that the people of the Old Testament were Jews, and that's wrong. A whole lot of people in the last 2,000 years have wrongly taken that for granted. Most of of these churches today teach that because they're they're bought and paid for by the Jews. They're worshipped by the Jews, and and, and the Jews want them to teach that. It's that simple. And and so that's the big lie, and the big lie continues. But Adolf Hitler, like Thomas Jefferson before him and and many other men, he had a very deep appreciation and understanding of the moral and philosophical principles of, of Jesus Christ. He had that understanding to the point where he instituted those philosophical principles into National Socialism. National Socialism is founded on solid and deep Christian principles, which can be illustrated but can only be understood by people who have read and studied both Mein Kampf and the New Testament. And that's very few people, very few people today, right? Now. Yes. Adolf Hitler knew from observing the Jew in Austria all throughout his life, he knew that Christ and his moral beliefs and his philosophical principles were absolutely contrary to everything the Jew was ever about. And it was true 2,000 years ago, and it's true today. He didn't understand why, but he knew it was so. So he concluded that Christ had to be an Aryan. He didn't know how. He, he he made a few guesses about the Gauls and the Galileans and things like that. He didn't know how, but it's true. Christ was an Arian. Christ was an Arian because the original people of the tribe of Judah were Arians. They were infiltrated by the Jews and taken over 150 years before the crucifixion. This is fully evident in the histories of Flavius Josephus, it's fully evident. And in, in the prophet Ezekiel, it's fully evident in the epistles of Paul. But you have to study those things in order to see them, and you have to study them in concert with ancient history.
0: Right. Yeah, that that that's a good point. And and you know what, let, let me finish, let me read this quote here from Mein Kampf, because I mean it's just it's just so insightful and, and really just confirms everything we've been saying. And I said, you know, I'll I'll just reread what I read, or what I read previously. He says, the Jew is of this world only, and his mentality is as foreign to the true spirit of Christianity as his character was foreign to the great founder of the New Creed 2,000 years ago. Founder of Christianity made no secret of his estimation of the Jewish people. When he found it necessary, he drove those enemies of the human race out of the temple because then, as a place, they use religion as a means of advancing their commercial interests. At that time, Christ was nailed to the cross for his attitude toward the Jews, whereas our modern Christians enter into party politics. And when elections are, are being held,
2: they deface
0: themselves to beg for Jewish votes. They even enter into political intrigues with the atheistic Jewish parties Against the interests of their very own Christian nation Now guys, I don't know how anybody else could say that Adolf Hitler was not At least inspired by Christianity you know, I mean, just, just take a look at that quote He nailed it He absolutely nailed it And, and how he describes modern Christianity We see that demonstrated on a daily basis With Christian Zionism Pat Robertson and all these other clowns That basically worship the Jews
1: well, they've been bought and paid for by the Jews. Those TV stations are owned by the Jews. That that the Jews financed them. The the Jews financed Schofield. The Jews financed Bullinger. That's how they wrote you their know, Bibles. That's, that's that that's why their Bibles are still on store shelves today.
0: That's exactly the next point I wanted to bring up with you, is this this modern phenomenon of of Christian Zionism, and basic, which basically amounts to. Blind, unlimited, total support for international Zionism for for this criminal, illegitimate terrorist state of Israel um, and, and really Jewish supremacy in general w- w- why don't you let's get into this a little bit. What do you know about uh, you know Christian Zionism and the Scofield Bible and you know this
1: total perversion and, and distortion of, of christianity well well schofield was was financed by Samuel Untermeyer. Samuel Untermeyer, the same Jew that declared war on National Socialist Germany in nineteen thirty three. but when Hitler came to power. He was financed by Samuel Untermeyer, the Lotus Club in New York City.
0: Imagine that, guys. The same guy who declared war on behalf of world Jewry, you know, declared war on Adolf Hitler in, in, in National Socialist Germany, somehow, you know, financed, you know, Schofield to... to to produce this Bible that, that's justified Christian Zionism and, and blind
1: worship of the Jews. Imagine that. A- absolutely. Now there's another Bible, the, the Bullinger Bible, and, and James Bullinger, he was a close friend of Theodore Herzl. He was in bed with the Jews, and his notes, for the most part, the notes of the Bu- Bullinger Bible come directly from the notes of the Masoretic rabbis. So so we have the Schofield Bible, which is the leading um, and most popular Zionist Bible, and we have the Bollinger Bible. And, and whether you use one or the other, you're going to end up worshiping the damn Jews because those notes are, are organized in a manner that make Jews God's chosen people, and they're not because the Bible is missing. The Bible is missing between the birth of Christ and, and, and the last books of Scripture in the Old Testament. The Bible is missing about 450 years And that 450 years, if you asked 99% of these um, mainstream Judeo preachers about those 450 years, you'll draw a complete blank. They have not a clue what happened in Judea between the time of Ezra and Nehemiah and the time of the Gospels. 450 missing years. If you don't understand what happened in those 450 years, you don't understand the division, the reasons for the division in the New Testament. Why the, the apostles have avoided Judea for fear of the Jews, as John says in John chapter 7.
0: Now this kind of gets into the, the problems with the, the, the translations and the interpretations of you know, the Gospels of the Old Testament. Um, is that basically what you're referring
1: to? Well, well it's the translations and the interpret. If you don't understand the history, every translation to a certain degree is interpretation. And if you don't understand the history, the background, the culture of the time, you're not going to do a good interpretation. Yeah, exactly. Now, I now you- go ahead, go ahead. That the Bibles that we have have been translated through the lens of Universalist Church doctrine ever since the King James, because that's the only lens that the translators had, because yeah. they didn't understand history and archaeology.
0: Yeah, and, and I know you've done programs which I, I, I found very, uh, you know, very insightful and, and profound, where you basically described how how real Christianity. Is nationalism, and and yes. you know you look at you look at um, national socialism, and I it's clear to me that that it's very Christian. It's certainly not um you know some people want to portray Hitler and, and the national socialists as you know anti Christians. You know they wanted to get rid of Christianity, and I mean I've I've been studying this stuff for for you know pretty heavily for the past year or so. And I just can't find any evidence to support that. I mean, you read a book like Mein Kampf, you know, Hitler's uh, Christian principles are throughout the entire book. You look at his policies, his speeches, um, you know, he held Christianity in, in high regard as far as um, being a stabilizing force and, and a force for uh, a sense of morals and ethics in society and kind of a guiding a guiding force for society and the nation. Um, he certainly wasn't, you know, and, and I don't think there's any evidence that anybody really in National Socialist Germany was, was hell bent on destroying Christianity and, and, and even the church.
1: Well, well, no, no doubt. You know, real Christianity, real real Christianity and racism are not mutually exclusive. They're absolutely inclusive. John Adams was a Christian. He was he, he was clearly a Christian. There can be many many citations from his writings which demonstrated he was a Christian, and he was one hundred percent pro Anglo American and wanted to drive the French out of North America. Benjamin so Franklin. So Benjamin so Franklin so was a Christian. There are many from his letters. There are many citations which can be pointed to that 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 proved that he what was a christian that that proved that he was um very amenable to christian education he made the statement explicitly and, and i'm going to quote it that this is from a letter of benjamin franklin in his proposals relating to the education of youth in pennsylvania benjamin franklin said history will also afford frequent opportunities of showing the necessity of a public religion from its usefulness to the public the advantage of a religious character among private persons, the mischief of superstition, etc., and the excellency of the Christian religion above all others, ancient or modern, and and that in, the entire text of that paper is available at the library. I found it at the University of Pennsylvania. That's where I got my copy. Now he he repeatedly and, and sincerely referred to God as Providence, and, and that was at that time the commonly educated man's way of doing that in the age of the enlightenment but he also stressed time and time again the necessity for morals and christian morals the necessity for education and christian education and he actually despised and wrote about it explicitly in his papers the non-white races wanted them excluded from american society he was so racist that he only considered the English and the Saxons of Germany to be white. He said that all the others swore the Europeans should be excluded.
0: Now, this is John Adams saying this, or Ben Franklin? Benjamin Franklin. Wow, I, uh, that's incredible. I, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Well, you know, it's funny too, Bill, because there seems to be an effort to, to not only you know tear down and, and destroy Christianity, but also uh, you know our, our founding fathers in the Constitution. And, you know, I, I, I think it's very, I, to, to me, to be quite frank, I think it's Jewish. Um, no, well, it's, well, it's absolutely
1: Jewish, and the Jew is long understood. And, and there are several quotes available from Jews that, that, that state that, that if, they, if they can disconnect us from our culture and our, and our, from our culture and the pillars of our culture and our historical past, that they could easily usurp our nation and enslave us. And that's exactly what they've done.
0: Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, we, we see it with the, uh, you know, in the alternative media with the theories of Hitler being a Jew or, or you know, Hitler being some secret Rothschild British agent or, or whatever the case is. We see the same thing with our founding fathers. You know, people claim our founding fathers were part of the Illuminati and, you know, they were really trying to, you know, what, what I mean, you could go online and find all sorts of information like this. And it's just, it's totally bunk when you really actually get into what these men were saying, what these men were writing, um, you know, their their, their intellectual and their philosophical framework they were operating under. It's clearly Christian. There's no doubt.
1: Well, while it's absolutely clearly Christian, it's absolutely pro-white. that They didn't consider, most of the Founding Fathers even though they talked about the equality of men and the brotherhood of man, they owned slaves because they didn't. Uh, many of them didn't consider Negroes to be men. And, well, and Negroes me shouldn't be considered men. It's the Jew that has promoted the Negroes to the, to the level of man in our society. Well, yeah, And, and it's an artificial it. promotion. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. No, no, no. It's okay. I was going to say, let's actually, I, I wanted to bring that up too because, um, you know, people do criticize the Constitution quite a bit. And you know, I, I, I suppose I, you know, I, I can understand some of the some of the criticisms. Um, and, and one of them is that it, you know it didn't really have any means of, of protecting the nation, of protecting the people that founded this country. However, well, well it
1: did. At... It, it did, but we well, didn't yeah. get the language. The Constitution, well, exactly. the preamble of the Constitution says it's for us and our posterity. Period. The whole rest of it only applies to the ancestors, the white Anglo-Saxon ancestors of the founders, period.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So right there,
1: any law that violated that posterity clause should be invalid. The 14th Amendment is invalid. It's unconstitutional. But we didn't defend it then. How the hell are we going to defend it now?
0: Well, yeah, and I and I think another thing, you know, you're exactly right. I mean, if you look at the Constitution, was it the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence that that specifically said, nation was founded by us for our posterity, not for you know slaves That's or. That's the preamble of okay.
1: the Constitution. For us for and our. our post- now the Constitution made Negro slaves in the South three fifths of a man, only for purposes of representation. That's it. It didn't make them people. It didn't give them the right to vote. It didn't make them citizens. They would only be counted as three-fifths of a man for purposes of representation, period. And that's only because Virginia, the biggest state in in the original union, had a lot of slaves and and a lot of political influence, and they wanted to boost that, that they wanted to protect that, and the New England states gave into it. So the Negroes were counted as three-fifths of a person, only for purposes of representation. That don't mean that three-fifths of, of the representatives can be black. That don't mean blacks can hold office. That don't mean they should. That don't mean they should be citizens. They were never considered so.
0: Well, yeah, I think you're right. And, and another thing is, is, I think historically, especially back then, you know, people people read this and understood, look, this was a, a white nation founded by white men for their family and their ancestors, and you know with the jewish media and the jewish cultural assault um we've been conditioned to think that america is this land of immigrants and anybody can be an american and and you know and it, that's totally not how this country was founded at all so really the idea the, these uh, judeo freemasonic ideas of of equality and you know universal brotherhood they really did prevail over the course of our history, and I think that has been a big, you know. That clearly, we can make that criticism against not, not. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't even necessarily say the founders, but just you know, influential men throughout our history. They recognized this,
1: and they didn't put a stop to it. Well, well absolutely not. But we should. We, we lost the Constitution after the Civil War, and in, in the Civil War, America became a tyranny, and, and we all but, lost them. We all lost it. And the proof of that was in the changing of the requirement for citizenship. It never applied to the posterity of the founders anymore. It applied to whoever was born in any one of the the, the various states with the 14th Amendment, which may have never been properly ratified, from what I understand. There's questions about its ratification.
0: And and what you just said, that that 14th Amendment, that was basically – Totally opposite of how this nation Was founded
1: Absolutely It's totally contrary, it shouldn't stand It it, it couldn't stand Weighed well, against you know, the Constitution The 14th Amendment cannot stand
0: Yes, absolutely Well let's talk about um, the, the Christian influences Of the founding fathers And, and even some of the documents um, I, You did a program that I listened to uh, I guess it's been about a, a couple weeks ago now where, where you went through and you, and you talked about how, I believe it was James Madison, who was one of the, the principal authors of the Constitution, literally based his philosophy off of the, I, I believe it was the Old Testament, and, and, and really how the Constitution but was certainly a product of, of Christian thinking
1: and Christian philosophy. There's no doubt. It absolutely was. And, and even yeah, the Bill let's of let's Rights, which was to to later.
0: Yeah, talk about that a little bit. I, you know, I'm not sure. Do you, do you remember the name of the document that, that you were talking about that, that Madison wrote where he basically justified his position? Um, well,
1: well, he had – I don't really remember the name of the document. It's been a long time since I've done those programs, right? I, I think I did those in, in um, 2000 and, October 2010. H- however, there was a lawsuit in, in, in Virginia, and James Madison ha- had um, – represented the plaintiff in the lawsuit, what it was was that the colony of Virginia wanted to put paid Anglican ministers on the state payroll. And, and Madison fought against that because he didn't think that the states should, should sanction any particular sect of Christianity. A- and you've, you, if you read that, that, that lawsuit and the points that Madison raised and you later read the First Amendment, you'll understand where that thinking came from. It only came from a, a, a desire, you know, when all things are equal, when all men are Christians, and they were all Christians, and all the state constitutions already had um, Christian tests for public office and, and were founded on holy prince, Christian principles, and they all were, all of the state constitutions were explicitly Christian in nation. Every single one, in nature, every single one of them. You didn't need um, federal laws enforcing Christianity because you were basically forming a union of 13 um, sovereign Christian nations, which is what these United States originally were. Now, all you needed to do... Bill, Bill, it it was basically assumed...
0: Rather than codified that that you know this was a Christian nation is that correct
1: absolutely absolutely okay. there's no doubt that now when 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 you are creating an agreement between these thirteen um sovereign nations and one of them is mostly Anglican and another one is mostly Puritan and another one is mostly um Methodist or Quaker or what yet Methodists in Georgia predominated. Um, Presbyterians, I'm sorry. Well, well you, you, you can't come to an agreement on religion between these, these sovereign nations. They are 13 sovereign nations. That's how they're recognized. That's how they're recognized in 1839. John Quincy Adams was a Federalist, right? The Adamses were Federalists. Even they recognized the sovereignty sovereignty and the sovereign national status of each of the individual American states. John Quincy Adams recognized the sovereignty sovereignty of the individual states in his speech in in 1839, I have it on on my website, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Constitution. The Federalists recognized state sovereignty over the federal government.
0: So let me ask you this real quick. Their their point, the Founding Fathers' point, and really – Well, what I'm trying to say
1: is – I'm sorry. What I'm trying to say is that the First Amendment exists so that Congress doesn't make any law which benefits one Christian sect over another. Period. Right.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask. So, so basically, it wasn't necessarily about. Well, I mean, I guess it was to a certain extent about freedom of religion and freedom of expression and whatnot.
1: It was freedom but, of religion, uh, but, but it was always assumed to be Christian religion. Right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you know, it, Jews it, 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 were it, it, Jews were excluded.
1: Me. Jews were excluded from most of the original thirteen colonies. That the only colonies right. that recognized. The, to my recollection, and I have this on a podcast on org, and I have all my notes and my citations there also. But, and, and it's under, um, if you look under my podcast archives by topic, you'll find a topic called the Christian founding of these United States. There's three podcasts there. It's all, so, for the most part, my, my own original research. I do draw from a lot of books written in the 19th century, Right. But, but they're pretty old books. Now, um, the only states, to my recollection, that recognized the rights of Jews to exist as a religion were South Carolina. The only colonies, I mean, when they were founded, were South Carolina and Georgia. A- and most of the other colonies explicitly excluded Jews.
0: Right. Yeah, I actually have a quote here. I mean, this is kind of a disputed quote, but it certainly rings true to me. And uh, this is from Ben Franklin, and he says here, I fully agree with General Washington, he's George Washington he's talking about, that we must protect this young nation from an insidious influence and in, in, in penetration. The menace, gentlemen, is the Jews. In whatever country Jews have settled in any great numbers, they have lowered its, its moral tone, depreciated its commercial integrity, have segregated themselves, and have not been assimilated. And he goes on and, and, you know, continues along these same lines. And I, I think it's very clear. Well, and he also specifically says that Christians, and, and he was really referring to, you know, to white men, white European men, were not Jews, and Jews were not Christians or white men. They were, they were totally separate, and they were totally hostile and alien to, you know, white Western Christian
1: civilization. He makes that very clear. Well, well, that is a disputed quote, Right. And that's why you won't see it on my website. However, I am familiar with it. And I can say that Benjamin Franklin did have, in his letters, a clear and distinct ambivalence towards Jews. Absolutely,
0: yeah. Well, yeah, that, that, that's why I said, you know, obviously it is disputed, but it certainly rings true <laughs> after, re- you know, sit down and read it. And everything, you know, even if it is disputed, it, it definitely rings true, but.
1: Now I just published a paper on, on Clifton Emmerheiser's website, emmerheiser.christaginia.org. I published it for Clifton. What, is, what it is, it's a collection uh, of some of George Washington's maxims from a book published in the 19th century. And George Washington also had a clear ambivalence towards Jews, but he, he referred to them in couch terms and did not refer to them directly as Jews. But uh, but he spoke about certain moneyed peoples in in in, in the um the the, eco- the the economic you know hierarchy that that were definitely he's definitely if you read it you'll definitely understand that he's referring to Jews but he doesn't say it.
0: Right, exactly.
1: So so there, there's a lot of ambivalence towards Jews and and, and it's very clear that that um. That men, not only men trained in the clergy, but the Christian men, John Hancock, um, John Adams, Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Paine, I could demonstrate from their own writings, and my podcasts do demonstrate from their own writings, even though in in October 2010 I wasn't sure about Thomas Paine, I am now, because now I've actually read some things from Thomas Paine, that they were all definitely Christians. There's no doubt they were Christians. They weren't deists. You know, that the Jews get away with convincing us that these men are deists because these men were not churchgoers and because today Christians are equated with these evangelical and Baptist churchgoers. Well, well real Christians are not necessarily churchgoers. Real Christians, right. people who practice Christianity, usually understand Christianity and stay away from these damn churches for that reason.
0: Well, yeah, this is something that Thomas Jefferson wrote and spoke about quite eloquently, um, where you know he basically said that he's a Christian, indeed, not merely in word.
1: Exactly. And, and John Adams was a Christian who actually explicitly stated that he had no use for, for the rituals of the, of, of the churches that they were they exactly. were paying, and they are.
0: And and guys, go, go on Google Thomas Jefferson. Wrote a Bible. I mean, he basically edited a Bible. He had, uh, Bill. You could probably, you probably know more about this than I do, but I believe he had, you know, Greek translations of, of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, I mean, th- these guys were were very much influenced by Christianity, and you know, clearly, the got Thomas Jefferson put his own Bible together.
1: Have, well, let me close my my paper. Let, let me close yeah, my. Paper. From Jefferson's notes on the state of Virginia, query number 18, written in 1781, Thomas Jefferson said, God who gave us life gave us liberty, and the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are a gift of God. Of course they're not secure because they're going to be usurped by governments, right? What we have... um, what we we have, the, the founding fathers had an understanding that their rights and liberties came from God, and therefore other men could not usurp them.
4: If we yeah. want to believe
1: that our rights and liberties came from the government, I, I have a um, a quote on Christogonia on my banner that I wrote, but it was inspired by Madison and Jefferson. And I wrote that if man believes that his rights are endowed by the creator, as the founders... Of this nation, recognized, then man understands that these rights are inalienable. If man believes that his morals are passed down from God, as the founders of this nation also recognized, then man understands that these morals are immutable. The Jew is the the, the um the promoter of of, of relevant. Relative morality, which is immorality, right? And, and, and situation ethics, which is unethical. That, that's the, 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 they're the hallmarks of the humanist Jew. Once man understands those things, he recognizes that his rights and, and his morals are inalienable and immutable. Yet man has allowed the Jew to litigate God out of modern society, and therefore now, today, we have no rights and we have no morals. It's that simple.
0: Right. Yeah, and, and, and really think about this. This, this was really a, a totally revolutionary understanding of of political organization and where our, as you say, inalienable, God-given rights come from. So we're not relying on some king or some tyrant or some Jew to tell us that, okay, yeah, you, you can say this, you can say that, you can do this, you can do that. No, our our rights. Come from God. They come. From the, you know, it, it, it's just it, it's a totally revolutionary way of uh, political organization, and you know, I I really think that anybody really denigrating our founding fathers, Adolf Hitler, Christianity in general is really doing the work. They're, of they're the doing Jew. the
1: work of the Jew. They're doing Absolutely. the work of the Jew. There's no doubt. Let Let me get back to my my Jefferson quote and, and yeah, just a ahead, short paragraph, if you don't mind. Yeah, Jefferson asked. God who gave us life gave us liberty, and the liberties of a nation be thought and can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis—a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are a gift from God. So, so that's a philosophical question, right? A rhetorical question that they are not to be violated, but with His wrath. In other words, if we violate the idea that our liberties come from God, we're inviting the wrath of God upon us. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. In other words, when we violate each other's liberties, we're going to be punished for it. And today we're suffering that punishment. The Jew rules over us. Now, now Absolutely. excerpts from that quote are inscribed on the walls of the Jefferson Memorial in, in, in our capital jefferson has also been quoted as having said that the doctrines of jesus are simple and tend to all the happiness of man he said of all the systems of morality ancient or modern which have come under my observation none appears to me so pure as that of jesus i am a real christian that is to say a disciple of the doctrines of jesus not the rituals of the church that most Absolutely. people substitute for Christianity today. And, and well, Jeff- Jefferson wrote what's, what's erroneously called today as the Jefferson Bible, but which is actually titled The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth.
0: Right, yeah. And again, this just goes to show that these men, the founding fathers, Jefferson, Thomas Paine, Adams, Ben Franklin – And, and, you know, even Adolf Hitler and some of these other leaders in Western history, they were real Christians indeed and and, and, in action, not merely in, in, you know, some ritualized, you know, superficial manner.
1: Absolutely. There's no doubt that that their moral and, and social philosophies were founded on Christianity, on Christian principles, just like Adolf Hitler. National yes. socialism, the lifting up of your brother, the providing for his needs, the, 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 um, not the payment of his rent or, 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 or the, the, um, the raising of his children for him, but the, the, the providing of opportunity for him to make his own way. The fact that National Socialist Germany was not based on usury, that Hitler threw the usurers out of the Capitol, that, that he took back the creation of money for the German people, all of that, all of the, the the seriously important foundations of National Socialism are Christian. The volunteerism of Christianity was built into National Socialism. The 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 Hitler's um the National Socialist Germany their welfare program, and I've quoted this in programs in my Christianity is Nationalist program, for instance. Their welfare program included millions of people. Who were working on a volunteer basis to administer it, and and that's right. Christian nation, in in nature. It's it's absolutely Christian.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I'm actually I was I should have looked at this looked this up before we started the show here. I was trying to find Adolf Hitler actually uh, talks about the, the concept of work and how how work and labor really are any sort of uh, you know, creative, productive endeavor um, undertaken by an individual on
1: behalf of the nation. And this seems to me very
0: Christian in nature. Well, it's absolutely
1: Christian. Paul of Tarsus said that men should work honest, uh, honest vocations with their own hands. And, and Paul of Tarsus also said that anyone who doesn't work doesn't eat.
3: Absolutely. And Adolf Hitler yeah.
1: explicitly said several times in Mein Kampf that National Socialism was not about handouts. It was about yeah. making sure that your brother had the ability to feed himself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a huge point, and I, I wish I had that quote. Um, I, I, I was—I had my copy of Mein Kampf right here. I just—I can't find it right now. I—I I, I should have made a note of that before the show started. But yeah, well, I well think I I search my website for it. Yeah, if you could find it real quick, um, Bill. We're, we're actually uh, we got about twelve minutes left. Um, we do have a call on the line here. I'd like to take a call quick, um, and, and you know we can even go over the you know the two hour mark if we need to. If we, you know if, if there's anything uh, else that needs to be said, but I, I, want, I wanted to say I actually did ask a couple people to call in and, and challenge us on the on this perspective because obviously, you know we, we are taking a, a pro Christian perspective here. Um, and, and, you know, I know there's a lot of critics of Christianity and, and you know, just just the very nature of, of organized Christianity and whatnot. So I wanted people to call in and, and challenge us. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen, <laughs> but we do have a call here on the line. So we'll take this call real quick. And then, if, Bill, if you, if you can find that quote, that would be great. Um, Adolf Hitler describing uh, the concept of work, at least according to him, um, which, again, I think is, is a very Christian understanding of, of this concept. Um, So while you do that, let me take this call. This is a 203 area code. 203, you are live. Can you tell us your name and where you're calling from?
4: Yeah, hi. This is Tom from Connecticut.
0: Tom, what's going on, man?
4: Hi, how are you? Hey, Bill, can you hear me?
1: Yes. Hello, Tom.
4: Very nice to talk to you. Um, I've got a question I wanted to get. There's two items that I wanted to bring up. One was Alexander Hamilton, and I wanted to get your opinion or – you know, your assessment on what this guy was about. My understanding is that um, he championed the first bank of the United States which held a charter from 1791 to 1811 uh, and uh, obviously Thomas Jefferson was against that. When he became president, he refused to extend the charter and then we had the War of 1812. So, Well, well right,
1: absolutely. There's no doubt that the Rothschilds wanted to usurp this nation through control of its banking system right from the beginning. Why did
4: Washington
1: appoint him? Well, well I'm not sure. if you, you have three groups of people, I believe, right? This is what I believe. I can't prove it, but you have three groups of people. You have the group of people that had been raised, like Cotton Mather, I explained it before, had been a, a notable New England cleric who, who advocated usury. You had the people who were raised in the English tradition of trade and commerce and usury. Washington was one of them. I don't, uh, uh, I don't see a conspiracy in his support of Hamilton. I, I think that there's more of a, a maintenance of what he thought or perceived was the economic status quo in in his support of Hamilton. He now, men uh, were anti-usury and understood it to evils.
4: Exactly, he, uh, Washington overruled Jefferson on this. Well, well, right,
1: but I'm saying I don't. You know, Washington was raised in, yeah, you know, he was an educated as an army officer. For the English, he fought in the French and Indian Wars. He's the establishment, right? Uh, Now, he's all for American independence, but but he's still culturally representing the establishment. I don't think that he knew any other way, to be honest. I think he thought that was the way to go with the National Bank.
4: Uh, I really do yeah, once they get a foothold, it's, it's pretty much over. Now, my second question is directed to both of you. It's not really a question. I'm not really sure how to how to formulate it. But um, I had a, a, a strange uh, experience recently where I was visited by a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? And uh, I didn't, you know, entertain them. I just sort of ushered them out. But what I found interesting was that they, they do this thing called a field ministry, which is what I was exposed to here, and they have a kit with them. That has materials in there, and I did engage them on uh, on that issue, like I was I expressed interest on on the uh, the ministry itself, how it 's organized, the fact that they they take an organized approach and they take their their uh, ministry to the street, so to speak what I'm what i 'm asking both of you is this how or maybe it 's a suggestion the American Nationalist Association that john is, uh, that John is championing is championing. Excuse me. I don't even, uh, is uh, pushing and also your organization, Christogenia. Why? Why don't you guys form um, form up forces and join up and uh, engage in an organized, essentially street ministry, but where you're not really pushing the uh, the uh, religious aspect of things initially, at least to people that aren't uh, predisposed to be. Uh, Receptive to that, but I what well, well that's because
1: the American that the American National Social Association by definition is a religious, and Christogenia by definition is apolitical political. <laughs> yeah,
0: good point. Well, 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 our thing is, I mean, basically, you know, the, the, this whole thing, is, you know, it's just so ridiculous. You know, people just don't seem to be able to even talk about Christianity objectively. And, you well, know, John, really listen, like, you know go what, go You know, here I
4: am listening to all this, and a lot of this material I'm being exposed to is new to me and very interesting. What I would have, you know, if a couple of guys came to my house and, you know, explained and had materials that they could hand out and talk to me one-on-one and explain to me some of the things you guys are talking about, right. I would listen, I would invite them in.
0: Right.
4: Yeah, Which yeah, is, yeah. This exactly. is what I'm
2: saying.
0: Well, well, basically, yeah, you know, our our point, you know, as far as the the association is concerned, as far as our network is concerned, you know, we're not we're not here to to push Christianity or, or anything like that, or push our you know our own personal religious beliefs or whatever on anybody else. I, I think that's should be left in the private sphere. Um, you know, if you want to talk about it, that's great, which is what we're doing now. Um, you know, in an objective manner, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just something that we felt, we had to be clear about this, we had to be clear that, look, this isn't a Christian organization as far as, you know, us promoting the beliefs, and we're certainly not going to tolerate anybody tearing down or denigrating Christianity.
4: Um, <coughs> okay, that's not, what, that's not really where I'm going here. I'm not asking you to, uh, you know, to run around and, and push a particular uh, religion, but what I, here here's what I found interesting. I went online and actually looked at some of this Jehovah's Witnesses uh, materials. They have a website at JW.org. So I'm looking at that. And they have printed materials that they, they provide on their site that you can get in PDF format. And there's a couple of them. For example, questions young people ask. And you click on one of these things, and it goes into things like, you know, gee, why am I arguing with my mother? Why am I arguing with my father? Why, why is it, you know, why is the economy so bad, et cetera? Okay. Now these are these are questions and answers that you actually do have answers for.
3: Right.
0: So you're, so you're saying, you know, basically the the A and A forming something like that, or or
4: and you using know, they, it. You know, I'll tell you yeah. what. If you guys had materials like that, I would buy them. I would buy them. Yeah.
0: Well well that's something that we're that we're certainly working on. Um I I, I mean that's something that I've had in mind for a long time
2: now. And well for me yeah. it's been
4: very difficult for me to collect information, you know, on uh, all of these things. Even my, my uh my uh interest and in, uh curiosity about Christianity, uh that that whole, you know, uh portion of my life has led me towards uh you know, listening to Bill the Bill, okay? And uh I find a lot of his Materials to be extremely enlightening. You know, I would not know about that if I didn't dig. If I, you know, it, it would have been a lot easier if somebody helped me.
1: Well, well, there are guys that I'm not the beginner guy, right? I, I never have been. I never tried to be. That the, um, that there are people in, in Christian identity that do write materials for beginners. I, I don't know why they're hard to find. I, I, I don't. That there's a book being written, worked on right now by Lawrence Blanchard. And um, hopefully that'll be available soon. You can find information on that from fgcp.org. I think the Fellowship of God's Covenant People actually publishes some um, some excerpts from it. It's more of a beginner type book. That I'm just not the guy, right? There's, I understand your need. I always tell people that we need better propaganda. What we need to beat the streets more. It's it's um it's difficult to do without good financing and the jehovah's witnesses have that right that, that, oh, that understand. that's a i well uh, yeah let that's basically what
0: cool to tom yeah. hold on let me let me step in here real quick we have 3 minutes left of live airtime anybody out there listening if you want to continue listening on to the conversation or or participate please call in 951 729 8933 um, yeah, we'll probably – obviously, we're going to go over here a little bit. Um, Tom, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue what you're saying.
4: Well, the reason why I called, okay, first of all, have, is because, you know, the uh, the subject matter of this particular show you're doing, John, is really extremely good and important, okay? And it's helping me to understand a lot of things. Anytime I listen to Bill here, he's uh, he's basically a walking encyclopedia on a lot of these issues. And I haven't found anything wrong with what he's saying as far as his factual basis. But what I'm, what I see as a problem is that we don't have people knocking on doors and talking to people. We should have that. These, uh, you know, I, I monitor, for example, online occasionally. I monitor some of these uh, discussion groups, and there's a lot of people very upset about what's going on in the country. There's a lot of people with lots of questions. They need answers.
1: Well, well, well that's the time to link the the 800 podcasts I have online, right? And I'm not the only one. There are other guys in, that, that are doing what I'm doing. But, but that's the time to promote our websites, um, link our podcasts and comment sections. We ask all the time that people do that. You know, if you see somebody disputing 9-11, you put a link to 9-11 missing links in the, com- in, in, in the comments. If you see somebody um, disputing the nature of the Jews, put a link to my origins of the Jews paper in the comments. That, that's, that, that's what we, we ask people to do all the time.
4: Okay. Yeah. I, I just well, I look, feel that – go ahead,
0: John. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say I, I think you're exactly right, and this is something that I've been thinking about a lot <laughs> for the past couple months. Is like, look,
3: look,
0: America is just waiting for somebody, for some organization or some association to stand up and really say, hey, look, guys, this is the problem. This is what we need to do. This is the first step we need to take. And, and I, I really feel like the American Nationalist Association can be that organization or that, that association, however you want to phrase it. I really feel like we can be, you know, that that those, those guys that stand up and say, hey, look, this is what we need to do. This is the problem. This is our agenda. These are our objectives. And I think we've done that. I think we will continue to make progress in this direction. There's a lot of things that we're still working on, Um and, I mean, you know, just where I live, I you know a lot of people, I, I live in California. I live in uh, San Diego County. Um, I'm not right in San Diego, you know, as far as the city is concerned. I'm a little bit outside. But, guys, I'm telling you right now, I'm I can't. i I'm ready to, to just go and walk around my entire neighborhood and hand out pamphlets about, about the American Nationalist Association. I'm ready to do this today. I'll do it later on today if, if I could. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the direction we're trying to take this in. We want people that are really dedicated to this, that really buy in, you know, to our agenda and what we're trying to do, um, and people that are really dedicated and trying to actually do something positive and constructive, rather than, you know, sitting online and debating about this and that, and, you know, you know, basically criticizing and, and, you know, just you know, tearing each other down. We need to be more constructive and positive and have a clear agenda, and, and that's what we're doing here, and I, and I think we will continue to make progress in that direction.
4: Yeah, you're doing a great job. The, the, thing, the reason I even called here is because, you know, when the Jehovah's Witnesses show up, everybody knows what that's like, right? But that does have a certain amount
1: of power, a
4: face-to-face contact.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely, exactly. and especially. Yeah. Well, when you're our... exactly right.
1: I think our numbers are far too small for that yet. I, I really do. I mean I, I if if I were to beat the streets myself personally, I might reach two or three people a day. but well, when I put my efforts into my internet ministry, I reach eight, nine hundred people a day.
4: Yeah, I see. I got it.
1: Okay. Now yeah. I, I get at least at least t- twenty three, twenty four thousand visitors a month to Christogenia. You know well, what I yeah, just wanna tell I you. I think there's
0: there needs to be a combination of, of, yeah. I mean, obviously, the internet is a critical tool as far as communication, organization, um, getting our message out, getting good information. You know, we have tons of. You can find, you can find anything you want on the internet, but it, it, we we need to also transform it into a real life, real world sort of strategy to where we can go out and talk to people. And, and, and yeah, I mean, that is obviously the, the key struggle that I deal with that I right now as far as. Taking steps in that direction. I mean, it's tough. It's it's tough to do, especially when you have no financing. Um, you know, you're basically putting your own time and and, and sweat and energy into this. Um, but I mean, it, it's something that needs to be done, and you know, I'm 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 dedicated to doing it. <laughs> and I think I think Rodney is the same way. I think all the guys that are on our network are the same way. Um, certainly, I think you're, you know, Tom and, and Bill. You guys probably feel the same way. And maybe people listening probably feel the same way. And honestly, I think I think there's millions of people out there that are just you know really waiting to, to hear this information and to finally have some sort of guidance. And, and because I mean, think about it: you, you go online, you get into this conspiracy movement or this conspiracy industry, and guys, you have to wade through so much crap to finally get to the truth. And you know, we need an association or an organization which, again, I think we are providing where, you know, we can clearly explain these things. You know, we have good talking points. We have good, you know, propaganda, and, and we really can get, you know, your average person on the street to, to sort of understand what's going on and, and what direction we need to take.
4: Yeah, just like you say, most people do, uh, they re- they require a little bit of help as far as organizing and, and uh, a structure within which to, to operate. You
1: know, most people aren't entrepreneurial. Right. Well, I'll tell you well, what. Well, Clinton well, publishes all of his essays and, and many of mine, all my historical and a lot of my biblical essays in pamphlet form. And, and he's one man, and, and, and he's um he's no spring chicken anymore. He can only produce so many pamphlets and, and print them out and give them out. But what we need is volunteers. If you want to see my work on the street, if you want to see Clifton's essays on the street, but well, we need people that are willing to to, um, to, to take them and, and format them and, and put them in pamphlet form and give them away. And that's not always easy to find either, right? Yes, yeah, that's
3: very yeah. true. Yeah. This
1: needs and to be done. Sort of some some sort, but but for, for me to build a network, I can't pay anybody. I can barely feed myself. I need volunteers. Yeah, you know, and, and I do have people that volunteer and do artwork for me, or volunteer and I, I've had people volunteer and put up entire websites for me, post thirteen hundred documents, or or, or the, the compare site, the Swift site. That they're not. I don't think they're a hundred percent, but they're worth maintaining and keeping. That the um that the um the, that's the labor is is the most expensive thing, and and we can't pay for it. We need people that are willing to do it. Right. Yeah, hey, I've got some uh, ideas on that.
4: Okay, no problem. Where, I get
0: it. I got. Tom, Tom yep. and Bill, hold on one second. We we actually had a guy call in or a person call in at the very end of the show here. Let, let me take this call and see uh, see what they have to add to the conversation. This is a three five two area code. Three five two. You are live. Can you tell us your name and where you're calling from, please?
2: Hey, John, it's Scott Roberts um, calling in once again, buddy. Scott, what's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to point out here, especially since we got Bill Fink on the on the line here, that he and I, for instance, started off on the wrong foot several years ago, and I think what the A&A provides us with is an opportunity to come together despite our differences. I mean, he and I agree on 99 out of 100 things where he might attribute Christianity, you know, these men were Christians And that's why these things happen, I would simply say They are white and leave it at that You know, really nothing else needs to be Discussed as far as our differences And the one thing that we need to do here is to come Together, again, despite Those differences, and organize And give people A, a put forth a Unified front that people can feel like They can join and, and do Their part, we don't need to pay these people They don't do things for us and our ha- he was just speaking about somebody setting up websites for him and doing things for him, passing out pamphlets and whatnot. They're doing it for themselves. We're leading by example. We don't get anything out of our efforts. We're not getting compensated in any way. So these people are simply doing it for themselves, and we need to show them how it's done, lead by example. And I think that coming together, again, despite our differences, uh, to put forth our own effort will give them that in which they need to see to then do it themselves, to feel inspired to do it themselves, to feel like they can join something that actually has a chance. That we have, actually have a chance to make a difference here, and their efforts are not going to be in vain, and that we're not going to be fighting amongst ourselves over petty differences.
0: Yeah, yeah, th- th- those are all good points, and, and again, this kind of goes back to why we, you know, clearly made our position on Christianity and then spirituality and religion. Very clear, because th- this just seems to be to that that really divides white people, and it doesn't need. I mean, it, there's simply no need for it to be you know a divisive, uh, or divisive um, aspect of, of what we're trying to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I do agree with you. I th- I think you make a lot of good points, um, and and you know as long as we're on the on the same page as far as our, our core agenda, um, our core objectives. You know, I, I think religion can kind of be in, in, in the background.
2: Right. And we don't want to ignore either side of it. As Mr. Fink was just pointing out, he has roughly about the same amount of visitors that I have every month. I wouldn't want to alienate the Christian whites, and he obviously wouldn't want to alienate those who, uh, uh, those of us who are racially aware and Jew-wise, we just don't share the same religious views. I mean, there's there's enough of us on both ends that if we come together. We're going to only help each other, rather than again, not only fighting, but even getting lost in the never-ending circle, circular argument, and discussion about the religious particulars. You know, the particulars of, of right. religious uh, religious points of view, and and that's the whole thing too. Is you have to understand that a lot of people on my side of this particular fence, view Christianity with a, you know, we we paint it with a with a big brush, and we see that 99% of Christians out there, the Judeo Christians or just the average Christian are obviously anything other than jew wise because they're yeah. jews
1: between your ears they're okay. jews scott come on they're I,
2: jews i i i agree with you 100 percent. i'm just making the point that there's a lot of friction between us for that very reason and i've been putting forth a great deal of effort recently taking it from both sides and i don't really care about that i'm just making a point that you know i've been really diligent putting forth a strong effort here to come together despite our differences to put these differences aside I'm just pointing out that there's reasons why both people feel, both sides kind of feel attacked by the other. And, you know, there's a legitimate reason why Christian identists would feel attacked by those on my side, and then there's legitimate reasons on the other end as well. We have to understand that, get beyond it, and move forward together in every way that we possibly can. And, again, I'm just pointing out here that the ANA provides us, or it should and it could, Provide us with the opportunity—the opportunity to do exactly that. That's that's why I um, look forward to helping in any way that I can, as far as uh, uh, pushing this and promoting it in any way possible. Sure. Yeah. Well, that, that's
0: certainly uh, you know a huge objective that that we're trying to undertake here. B- Bill, what's your thoughts on uh, what Scott just said?
1: Well, well, first let, let me say that Christian Europe was a framework by which great things were done when white men cooperated with each other. And Christianity is the only paradigm in recent history they've ever done that with. When, um, when the, Sa- the Saxons were looting and pillaging and destroying the Franks for, for um, hundreds of years until they were Christianized and they stopped. The same thing with the Vikings. The, the Normans went to, um, to, to fight against the Muslims and ended up raiding and pillaging and looting Constantinople. They did the exact opposite that they were sent to do for their own personal profit. When they were Christianized, they stopped. I mean, whites have been uh, attacking and destroying whites, uh, I mean, f- for their own gain since the dawn of time. And Christianity put a stop to that, and Christianity ostracized the Jews. The Jew had usurped Roman Catholicism and was able to get whites to fight against each other once again. Well so that, so, I mean, so it it's you know we can't say that just because men are white they do good things that they need no, a moral framework that they need a moral framework as well as a, a genetic basis okay they have to have both if we don't have both then we don't have anything
2: and on the flip side of that and again not to argue here I'm just making a point here we i could argue that they simply need to be aware of the the what the Jew is doing. So we could talk about World War Two, for instance. We know well, it's, right, the but it's real before.
1: Christianity. I'm sorry, Scott, but real Christianity is the only thing that's ever identified the Jew for the devil that he is. The pagans never did that. The non Christians never did that.
2: Real I'm not a, I'm not a, does that. I'm not a pagan and or what you know, I don't really identify as being anything. I guess that makes me an atheist. But I'm just making the point here that as long as people are made aware of the Jew and what they're doing, then whites would no longer fight whites, or they would not have engaged in the imperialism and the other behaviors that uh, that they have done against their own and against others throughout history. So if Christianity is what enlightened them and made them Jew-wise, then great. That's that's awesome. I hope we can uh, bring that form of Christianity back and go out there and enlighten every Christian out there as to what the Jew is doing, what they've done, and what they plan on doing, I'm all for that. I'm just, again, I'm just simply pointing out here that that is what we need to do to make them aware of what the Jew is doing, and then these things wouldn't have happened. If that, if, if Christianity is what brought that knowledge to them, then I'm not going to take that away from you or from Christianity or anything else. I'm just making the point that Jews have. Influenced us, pulled our strings And tricked us into doing these things And the key point there is Making uh, making other whites aware So that doesn't happen again Whether it's from a, a Christian angle Or from my particular angle It doesn't matter So long as we're getting that same point across Well, well Christianity
1: You know, the Jew has always been um, Hostile to Christianity and, and real Christianity Has complete antipathy towards the Jew We have to educate that you're, you're never going to, going to talk these mainstream Christians out of Christianity. You're not going to do it. Forget it. Don't try. Stop trying. You know, what you do is you teach them what real Christianity is, whether or not you yourself believe it. Believe well, I, I agree. That, that's the well, problem with our society. I'm sorry. That's the problem. The biggest problem with our own race is that men claim to be one thing or another and don't read the founding documents. I know a lot of pagans that never read the Eddas, never read the Nibelungen never read the Vuluspa, never read their own pagan literature. But they just adopt it because it's cool, and then they go practice Jewish pop culture. Christians are the same way.
2: Well, my, my simple point on that is is just, is just as you referred you a few minutes ago, that you don't reach out to the average person. You're a little bit more advanced than that. Well, the same thing with me. I don't, I don't approach Christians. I, I don't even make any attempt at doing that. And by all means, if there's someone who's looking at things uh, from a Christian Zionist point of view or, or just a run-of-the-mill Christian, then I would point them to you and let you take over wherever I leave off. So, uh, you know, again, that only highlights the benefit of our working together rather than working against each
1: other. Well, 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 right, and and I would be one. I've reached out to white nationalists and tried to show them that there's a better way in in the same manner. But but, um, I I did that program with with Severus two months ago. He's not a Christian, but we could both understand the need for transcending materialism, which which was the title of the program. What we both have to understand, what we can both, even though he's not a Christian and I am, what we both share the common belief that there's a greater good, right? And, and that we have to work to serve the greater good. And, and that's
2: exactly, exactly yeah. where I'm at right now. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly, you
0: know, the spirit I'm op- I'm operating under, and, and really the ANA is as well. Um, you know, I mean, I, I've been sitting back and, and, you know, just sort of watching what's going on in the alternative media, you know, in our quote-unquote movement, whatever you want to call it. And and one of the biggest reasons why we wanted to put out that statement about Christianity and, and religion and spirituality it's it is such a divisive and and just you know I I don't even know why either it's so, it's so ridiculous to me it's very immature and it's like we have white guys that that obviously know the Jew is the problem and yet we want to sit here and and, and argue with each other and bash each other and tear each other down over religion and it's like look guys right. get over it like come on and, now and as
2: and as and as the previous caller just pointed out it's confusing enough as it is for the average person to sift through the mountains of disinformation. It's very difficult. So by us putting uh, forth an alternative, a unified front where you know everything that we agree on, which is, again, probably 999 out of 1,000 things, speaking specifically of the facts, then that's only gonna help as far as avoiding that confusion and reaching out to the average person And then you guys were also talking about a a few moments ago um, needing money and stuff like that. And and I just – I think that we have enough people who are aware already, as you've pointed out several times, probably millions of people across the country. They just don't have an organization to join, to feel like they're part of something. They believe their efforts would be in vain. Uh, They haven't been – they haven't seen anything. They don't have any reason for encouragement. They haven't – Really had someone stepping up and leading by example So, you know, I've been trying to crack the whip, so to speak To get people to do more Believing, again, that we have enough people And the problem is simply that 99 out of 100 people within this movement Are not doing their part And, uh, you know, that theme is always going to be a part of my message Because ultimately it comes down to us Those of us who are already aware not doing enough, and if we fail, I don't want it to be from a lack of effort. So, you know, I think that we need to just come together, um, encourage activism in others, and, again, they're not doing it for us, they're doing it for themselves, and they simply need to do their part to the best of their ability. And, you know, a few of us have obsessed over this and put forth a great deal of effort, and we're, we're not wrong for asking for others to do the same. Scott what's
4: yeah, your uh, what's your
2: what? Web- Scott what's your website? Yeah. It's
4: long but it's the theforbiddentruth.net. The okay, Mike, I got a my, hey Scott, uh this is time I got a quick question for you, uh specifically, you know, have have you seen a big a shift in uh people waking up to what the what the problem is here and um, you know, how many people do you think, you know, You've got your finger on the pulse. You've got a big audience. John has an audience. Bill has an audience. There's a lot of people you guys touch. Right, and and I'll tell you what. Um, I went to school for a lot of things, but public
2: speaking was never one of them. I never had anyone teach me anything. I'm the type of person, when I look into something, I don't like to go get all all my information from Adolf Hitler or from any one person. I try to figure out things on my own, and then I reflect back on these wise men and then I can see where they're coming from and learn a little bit more with a base of knowledge that I've already obtained on my own. With that being said, as far as my efforts go, I'm not the best speaker. I'm not the, the prettiest guy as far as putting myself in front of a video camera, but no one will outdo my effort. So that's something that everyone who's watching my videos or reading my words can duplicate. You don't have to be good at this, that, or the other. You can find a little niche where you might not want to speak publicly, then, to, uh, make some pamphlets and pass it out, and and help us out. There's so much that needs to be done. There, the effort, again, that's something I always focus on. It should never be our undoing or lack thereof. So as far as I'm concerned, if I reach if I reach out to a thousand people and I only wake up one or two of them, then that just means I need to reach out to ten thousand, twenty thousand, thirty thousand, and it me mean, it means that I need to improve upon my message. I need to work on it. I don't get frustrated when I'm not reaching enough people, and blame it on their ignorance, and oh, they'll never get it and just wipe my hands with them. I work on my effort, my approach, my delivery. And then in, in that way, I have seen a lot of uh, progress, even with my own efforts over the years, where I was initially getting resistance and I would get the frustration and feel the frustration that everyone feels when you're trying to reach out to people and, and you know, it's the typical stuff, attacking the messenger and just mindless programmed response that just rolls out of their mouth without any thought. It can be frustrating, but I've learned from practice, from effort, from experience t- to deal with all that stuff, and it's just an instant rebuttal that I have for everything. And, then, again, that just comes from effort and from practice, and I and I encourage everyone to do the same. You know, just get out there and do something. Reach, Reach your neighbors. Pass some pamphlets out. If you want to make videos, go ahead because, again, the Internet is our best – means of communication, so it's the best way, it's the best thing we can do as far as reaching out to a lot of people, but as far as answering your your question about the progress over the years, six years ago or so when I first started, there was maybe one person out of a thousand would sort of kind of agree or like my comment if I was on, you know, a website where you can like comments, Facebook, or whatever it may be, and over the past couple years, I've just seen an exponential improvement as far as People being willing to accept these things to look into these things and getting beyond the its the Zionist stuff I mean I've seen progress in every at every level as far as people being willing to uh open themselves up to these things, and all you have to do is ask the right questions of the right people, and things become obvious so you know again, we need to plant seeds, and if I plant certain yeah, seeds and it doesn't register with people, then you come along and you reinforce those facts and then eventually. When things happen in their personal life or they see something on the news, there's another false flag attack, they're going to remember, but wait a minute, that guy Scott Roberts or that guy Bob or John or, or Mr. Fink, they were right. And it, it, it might not get to them right away, but eventually it will if we simply repeat it often enough from as many angles as we possibly can. So, again, it comes back to everyone doing their part. Me, Mr. Fink, and Mr. Friend here, we can't get it all done on our, on our own. We need help from everyone.
0: All right, good point, Scott. Um, I'm, I'm actually, you know what? Let me. We got to wrap up the show here. I actually got to run out the door here in just a minute. Um, so thanks for calling in, Tom and Scott. Um, you know, feel free to email me and and, and let's talk privately in the near future. Um, one of the points that that I've been making is, before we can make any real progress, we need a clear set of objectives, a clear purpose, and we need to, you know, really coordinate our efforts here. Rather than just, you know, arguing with each other over Christianity or this and that um, so, And that's something that the ANA is really trying to do I think we'll have much more to say in the very near future on that um, And Bill, I wanted to thank you very much for coming on the show today uh, It's been very informative um, I think, you know, we, we covered the topics at hand very objectively um, Although from a, you know, sort of pro-Christian perspective but I mean, I think it was pretty objective, and I was uh, just wondering if you had any uh, any final comments
1: before we wrap up here. Well, well, I have my citations, right? These men were clearly Christians that they accomplished great things. They accomplished things that Al race had not accomplished before the dawn of Christianity. But the height of, of of Germany in the time of Otto one and, and Otto two and, and Frederick Barbarossa and men like that. Nobody. Um, the, the, the civilization that resulted from the medieval period into the Reformation and, and, and the nations that came out of that, even though they were infiltrated and wars against each other at the instigation of the Jew, they were the greatest nations that, that have ever been in the history of this planet. And the framework that allowed them to make the accomplishments that they did and build the institutions that they did was a Christian framework. Without the basic morals that Christianity enforces, we're going to get nowhere. We're going back to the looting and pillaging of of our Viking and Norman and Saxon forebears in the pre-Christian period. Well, when they spent their their careers looting and pillaging their fellow white men, and and that's what they did. So, So... but we need unity, and, and Christianity provides the moral framework and and the the um the unity necessary. Once we realize that Christianity is nationalist and that it's racist, when when we get our Christianity from the Bible and not from these Judeo churches, what which are basically simply teaching men to worship Jews. Sure.
0: Well thanks a lot Uh, Very good points Very well said Um, Thanks a lot for coming on the show today And I want to thank Tom and Scott for calling in Um, Again I thought it was a very informative show And tune in tomorrow I'm going to be interviewing D.C. Dave Martin At 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time We're going to be covering The total Soviet Jewish infiltration Of the FDR administration Prior to World War II And during World War II um, so we'll be covering that topic tomorrow It should be a very uh, informative show again So I want to thank everybody for tuning in And again thank our callers and our guest uh, Bill Fink Check out his website at Christigenia.org. You can also find uh, the Mein Kampf Project Over at Christigenia.org. And i got to tell you guys The Mein Kampf Project is, is in my opinion Some of the best information Related to World War II and Adolf Hitler on the internet So be sure to check it out Uh, This is John Friend signing off on this Sunday, April 7th, 2013 edition of The Realist Report. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you guys tomorrow.
1: Thank you. Praise Christ.